Welcome back, backloggers, to another Backlog Busters Retro Game Talk. The mid-month show where we dig up the classics and talk about them. And who knows, maybe we'll even learn a thing or two about these golden oldies. But, before we get to those perfectly aged retro bits, I'm Patrick, aka Backlog Patty, co-host of the Backlog Busters and co-founder of the Backlog Odyssey, and joining me tonight is the SMT Demon Courting Referee, the sanctified seeker of gaming reverie, hallowed be thy game. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I am very humbled by your epic and glorious intro of me. Yes. You know, I'm inspired by the best. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, of course. Of course. You know, it's it's my pleasure. It's almost as if we did this before. I don't <laughs> I'm getting deja vu. <laughs> yeah, something. I don't know. I don't know. So uh, before we jump into things, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do and what you've been up to. Thank you. Yes, I I run a small YouTube channel, How to Be Thy Game, and yeah, I Twitter to go along with it. But essentially, just to tell where I come from, I I spent about fifteen years almost playing MMOs exclusively. I, I did hit some of the bigger releases along the way, but essentially, a couple years back with uh, Blizzard and the Diablo Immortal incident, uh, curse their name. <laughs> I uh, had a big falling away, and I since since then I've just been kind of going back and capturing up on some of the bigger classics. You know, I discovered Dark Souls and Persona, SMT, and just been kind of caught up by the whole storm and wanted to channel my passion and nerding out into uh, YouTube. <laughs> so uh, that's yeah, I, I love to hear it. And you know, those are some amazing games that you've listed off. I mean, some of my favorites, honestly. Uh, Dark oh, yeah. Souls in particular. Right. I mean, yeah, it was just one of those games that kind of hit all of those kind of mental, uh, the mental gymnastics I would do to in MMOs and such like strategizing right. and kind of, kind of deeper um, from a lore and gameplay perspective. So right. you know, I haven't looked back since. So No, that's, that's really great to hear. I, I love hearing things like that. And when it came to MMOs, like, what was your biggest focus? Was it World of Warcraft? Yeah, uh, I did delve into Final Fantasy XIV when it initially released. I, I actually mm. played the beta, which was kind of famous, famously bad. And um, they had this kind of rebirth with A Realm Reborn. And yeah. I came back for that. But mostly, if I'm being honest with myself, I I always came back to World of Warcraft and tanking, uh, uh Always played um, Death Knights, Druid, Warriors, Paladins. I, I essentially played every tank, but I, I loved it. But it just got to a point where their design philosophy, even before kind of all of the drama and everything after that, I, they started just kind of gearing towards this kind of en endless loot cycle to where you always had to be online. And, you know, I, I have a wife and a kid now. I just I couldn't commit to the way I wanted to play MMO. So. Right kind of going from there is yeah yeah those things are absolute time sinks and that's why i've always kind of avoided them because i don't know yeah i know if i started one i'd, I'd be lost they hit a part of my brain that i have a hard time gauging how i play and right. you know kudos to people who can kind of uh, gauge themselves like that i couldn't do it the best thing for me was i just had to go away and before I knew it, I was gaming on the handheld more, which is where the right. Switch, the Vita, 3DS, DS, everything yeah. just 
kind of clicked and for me. It's fun. It's fun discovering all those new games after you've kind of, I don't know, not necessarily ignored them, but kind of missed them, I guess, in their prime. And right. going back and rediscovering all the greats. It's it's something I enjoy doing as well. Oh, for um, sure. It's that, yeah. that quest for glory. I Exactly. <laughs> always exactly. So one thing that I like to ask all of our guests is... What does retro mean to you? I mean, it means a lot of different things, right? Uh, It can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What does it mean to you? Yeah, I I kind of dwelt on this question for a while. And I I started to realize in my brain, I think I'm stuck in like 2008 or 2010. (laughs) And I'm realizing now that, you know, (laughs) there is systems that happen between PS2 and where we're at now. So I, I think I've come to realize that Retro to me, retro gaming is almost like a state of mind. And I would say any game that has kind of transports you with encapsulated nostalgia, whether it be graphically uh, design aspects to the game, maybe a gameplay philosophy it follows. I'd say for me, that's really retro gaming. And and one recent example of that is kind of the kind of the the one for one remake of Demon Souls, which has the old design philosophy, but it is one of the most beautiful games I've ever seen. Right. Obviously, we can't call that probably retro anymore because it's <laughs> literally one of the prettiest games I've ever seen. But again, like that older type of design philosophy, they developers would kind of be a little bit more grueling at times. So. Right. Yeah. No, that that really resonates with me because I kind I agree that uh, retro and nostalgia are kind of not only just a time and place it's kind of a feeling it's something that we try to rediscover as we get older you know right you know you think of things like when you were a kid when you're going to the video store and rented a game for the weekend and played it all night or something <laughs> for sure it's i say my allowance like for this <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> i walked 10 miles to get, I don't know, uphill both ways. (laughs) I remember one time I I saved my allowance and I went to the video game store and I saw a Super Mario, what I thought Mm. was Super Mario, but it was actually one of those learning games that was disguised as a Mario game. I was, I, I, it was the first time I was ever thoroughly disappointed and angry at video games. Yeah. You're like, what in the actual heck is this? (laughs) Pardon, pardon my my language, but what the crap is this? <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> well, I like that answer a lot. And with that in mind, there are many gaming franchises that have stood the test of time, but not many celebrate a fan base that has quite the fervor of those who love the Shin Megami Tensei games. And I mean, I can see that in your passion as you explore the series. Thank and you. it's part of why I really wanted to talk to you about this game in particular once we get to it. <laughs> and that's especially considering kind of its darker and more offbeat take on the JRPG genre. Oh, for sure. When I think JRPG, I think bright, colorful anime, you know, yeah. <laughs> and Shin Megami Tensei, although is very anime at times. Right. <laughs> it's definitely a little darker. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're, they're not screaming the abilities before they do them. You know, it's uh, right. Yeah. The a little more vicious. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, they don't do quite the key or the touchstone things that most JRPGs do. Right. And uh, one thing that I thought was fascinating was that it took almost a decade or if not more for the fans outside of Japan to actually uh, experience 
the satisfaction of summoning the powers of their inner selves in the form of fantastical monsters and demons. Uh, but as soon as they did, it it really caught on here. Like for sure, yeah. You you hear it everywhere. It may not be yeah. a Final Fantasy, but it is yeah. there, ever present. In yeah, the scene. I I feel like SMT has really, even though it's not as po- popular as the Persona spinoff that you know right. started as a spinoff, but now is the giant of Atlas. But you know, SMT is really firmly planted itself as kind of this prestige among the JRPG turn-based fans. Right. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. And the game that we'll be discussing this evening undoubtedly uh, sustained that raging inferno of quality, intrigue, and demon matching, or demon matchmaking. Uh, And that game was, or is, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor Overclocked. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, this game is fascinating, especially diving deep mm-hmm. and kind of digging up some of its uh, history. Like, right. I'm ga- I gained such an appreciation for this game in particular. <laughs> oh, man, I've learned so much about the series just from, you know, going over the script for today's episode. I mean, there's a lot here to learn yeah, it's, about it. It's so cool. It's so cool. And... Um, I guess we could start off kind of at the very top, like yeah. Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor Overclocked uh, was originally released on the Nintendo DS in 2009 as just Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor. And it would eventually be ported to the 3DS in 2011, only three years later, or two years, I'm sorry, my math was bad. <laughs> and that's what surprised me is how quickly the yeah. remaster and port was. Right. And and considering everything that we'll eventually go through in the, the enhancements that they make to this version, like that's kind of crazy, mm-hmm. honestly. Oh, there's um, a lot. The voice acting alone is crazy. Oh, I know. It is. <laughs> yeah, I can't even believe it. <laughs> uh, so it was developed by Atlas, but in partnership with CareerSoft. Now, this may not be a developer that many people know, but um, have you heard of them before? Um, I, in just cursory knowledge, when I was, you know, had just completed this game and I was kind of on a, a thirst for knowledge, I discovered them. And it's fascinating to me that to learn how much of the career soft team was kind of in charge of this because right. like hardcore SMT fans consider Devil Survivor to be one of the best of the series. And it's like not your typical, like not the t- usual suspects are the ones who made it. So it's, it's fascinating that they were able to kind of meld the two genres in this demon fusion accident. Exactly. So. Yeah. That is really cool. I, I, kudos to them. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was published by Atlas, which, you know, we assumed, but that was to Japan and North America and then Ghostlight in Europe, which never, I've never heard of them. But never heard of them either. <laughs> there you go. We had to say it because it was there. Yeah. <laughs> so if a Ghostlight employee is listening, kudos to you. Exactly. Yeah, you did something. You were a part of this. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right. So uh, we can take a deeper dive now into kind of the development and the history of the game. Uh, with its legacy and the first part of it, which I think is one of the more fascinating things was that, like you were saying, a lot of the development team came from CareerSoft. 
which eventually was um, absorbed by Atlas, which was eventually absorbed by Sega. And then the CareerSoft team got turned into Atlas. Uh, that's fascinating. <laughs> I, pretty mind-blowing, to be honest. Yeah. They, they did it so well. They did. And I'm guessing, I want to imagine that, you know, they probably still have original SMT developers in this team. Right. But the fact that they took this kind of satellite developer mm-hmm. and transformed it into what we now know as the Persona juggernauts. Right. Is kind of crazy. Right. And it's even more crazy because, you know, the games that they are kind of we're known for aren't really mega titans of strategy RPG genre. But again, I know that there are very much passionate fans for the games that they were involved with. So, right. Right. Yeah. And for those who don't know, CareerSoft was most well known for uh, their Landgrizer series, which was a tactics style game and the spiritual successor. Grow Lancer, and you can kind of see those influences in Devil Survivor, where it takes some of that tactics um, essence and injects right. it into SMT. So some of the core team that worked on Devil Survivor, who were from CareerSoft, included Shinjiro Takada, who was the director, uh, Fuma Yado, who was the designer, Tomohiko Matsuda, who was and uh, who was the uh, programmer. And they were all major contributors to Landgreiser and Growlancer before they moved on to working on Devil Survive. And I didn't realize how many Growlancer and Landgreiser games there were. Have you ever seen that? that no. <laughs> Are there, there? There's probably infinitely more than I'm realizing. Same with yeah. Disgaea. Once I realized there's more than two Disgaea games, I was like, I feel stupid now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like there, I thought there was just that one on the PS2. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, another contributor to this project was Suzuhito um, Yasuda, who was the character designer. And you can absolutely recognize his style as soon as you see it. Yeah. I, there's people who I know that have never played a Devil Survivor game, but they can instantly recognize his work. And right. um, uh, especially with Digimon and Caladrius Blaze, I, I think it's... I think it's Caladrius Blaze on Switch, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, he definitely brings such a unique style, which is which is amazing how many people love it because Cosmic Conico, who does the main, who did the mainline SMT um, three Nocturne and Persona one and two, I, I mean, he is borderline worshipped by the fan base and rightfully so. But I I definitely think Yasuda brought such a unique and iconic look to the Devil Survivor games that. Nobody really complains about that I've seen, at least on forums and reading, uh, and and rightfully so because he does such a good job with it. And uh, he really does. Yeah, he has a very kind of clean style, but it's also, I don't know, it has a lot of motion to his artwork. It feels right. like there's a lot of movement in what he does, and I've always appreciated that. And when I realized that he was the same artist who did, is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? I was kind of like, ah. It all makes sense now. <laughs> I, I still need to get on that because, yeah, he definitely he definitely knows where to put waifus at in games. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he has a penchant for the waifu. <laughs> yeah, doing the Lord's work. Right, exactly. Law-aligned. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, and a lot of his influence can be seen throughout the game too, which we'll get to, but that was because of his work in you know manga, anime, 
and light novels. Um, next up was the music composer, who was uh, Takami Asano. Not very well known in the video game scene. I don't even know if he's really well known in the music scene, but he he was a part of some sort of, I don't know, like, some sort of band <laughs> only true smt fans own his albums from before, before exactly fame. exactly <laughs> yeah and i yeah. mean his video game credits there's nothing really mm-hmm. too familiar he did chase hq on the game boy and sci special criminal investigation on the sega master system so it would be like decades before yeah. he touches another game I will give him some props, though, because like um, the SMT games have really iconic kind of ominous feels to them. Like Strange Journey has this very grandiose, um, sim- like orchestrated music and uh, SMT4 has kind of this ethereal postmodern feel to it. And Devil Survivor has hard rock like there's some guitar riffs for the for everything. And I. It, it, it makes its own mark. It did a really good job. I, I, I even think Devil Survivor 2 doesn't necessarily have that same feel to it. But right. the first one, I mean, it definitely has its passionate fans. So I, he right. did really good on Devil Survivor. Yeah, that's really cool to hear. And I mean, the SMT games are have always kind of been, I don't know, experimental when it came to their soundtracks. They always tried different things like Persona 5 and their funky jazz music which <laughs> i very much entire, enjoy <laughs> yeah, int- introduce an entire generation to jazz actually existed before persona 5 but <laughs> right. it definitely made everybody remember it so. right yeah and it, it was such a good album and i love that they do that with many of the smt games like there's always a a smt feel to them there's always kind of this it's upbeat but maybe a little dark, which is kind of a, a theme for these kind of games, right? right. Yeah. Um, which leads us to uh, when they were developing this game, they really wanted to make it more approachable. So they wanted to try different things, right? They wanted right. to uh, change up the stri- strategic tactical RPG genre to make it a little less nuanced, but you know, still celebrating that nuance. But also kind of focusing on character relationships with the visual novel portion portions of the game yeah. and so on. Yeah. And honestly, you can kind of see that. I mean, we were speaking earlier. Um, there are aspects of Devil Survivor that kind of bring in a little bit of like confidants or social links from Persona to where if you don't build your relationships with these characters, you know, they're they they're not going to make it. Right. But. Um, I would definitely say that Devil Survivor 1 definitely got very close to the mark and making it approachable. It still has, I would say, some pretty ferocious difficulty spikes. But, right. you know, with uh, with outside resources and stuff, I, I don't think that's too much of an issue for maybe in 2009, you know, uh, online right. guides might not have been as right. common. But, yeah, um, I think they did a really good job in making it more approachable because the series, especially the main line, are kind of renowned for being on the harder side of turn-based gaming yeah yeah and i can agree with that um i mean i want to preface everything that i say tonight with i've not played this 
And this is why I'm so excited to be talking to you because you're kind of the expert on the scene, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'm the crazy guy out on the corner trying to talk about Novel Survivor to people. So thank you for bringing me in. (laughs) He's like, hey, that guy knows what he's talking about. Come on over. (laughs) Yeah, I I brought my own summoning candles. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, you can leave those in the back. Um, (laughs) Another thing that they really wanted to do to make it more approachable was kind of the storytelling side of it which you see that uh, visual novel style. And they really want it to be light novel-esque, which was where uh, Yasuda's kind of influence came in with his work in manga and, and light novels. And this is kind of my take based on what I could find and my experience reading light novels is that, you know, they are more character focused. They are geared more toward not necessarily young people, but like, you know, young adults, younger people, uh, not necessarily too heavy and dark, but, you know, can teeter on that edge. Uh, would you agree or were they yeah. successful? Yeah, I, I think so. And like you said, Yasuda does such a great job with the character portraits. You know, there is a lot of dialogue, a lot of spoken dialogue. Mm. And it is portrayed in a way to where, you know, the animations from the character portraits um, can definitely help buy you into the scene. But I was never really open to the visual novel genre until I honestly played Persona 3 Portable. And it kind Mm. of let me know, like, yes, I can get through a 40, 50 hour long game that has a visual novel storytelling. And I think Yasuda did an incredible, an impeccable job really with both one and two. Um, So it's for anybody who might be leery on light novels. I I feel you. I was right there too. However, this is a great starting point for the genre too. Yeah. I think that what a lot of visual novels are missing in my experience is something to keep you coming back. Because sitting through, you know, 15 hours of just straight dialogue is right. not easy. <laughs> yeah, if if it's not for you, then there's not really, it's either for you or it isn't. It, right. I feel like it, it, it can have a hard time of bringing people in, but. Right. Um, and that's where kind of the, the combat side, which we'll talk about a little later, I would imagine alleviates that a bit, right? So yeah, get, I would. I would definitely say with a combination of that and the fact that I want to say there's six, uh, there's definitely multiple endings. I can't remember offhand. I want to say seven, but I could be right. wrong about that right. uh, ending. So depending on who you side with or befriend, you can have a wide range of different routes and fight different, you know, bosses along the way. So, right. and that's always good. Like you need something to distract you from the story sometimes as <laughs> right. good as it might be. Right. As good as it might be. So we mentioned Devil Survivor. We mentioned its sequel, Devil Survivor 2. We're currently playing, or you have been, or you mm-hmm. did. <laughs> yeah. You were playing uh, Devil Survivor Overclocked, which was the enhanced port on the 3DS. And it came with some additional features. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said, only two years after the original release, which is crazy. Yeah. For the voice <laughs> acting alone, that's yeah. pretty pretty massive undertaking, I would say. It assume. really is. It really is. And some of those changes were additional demons. So I think it was there were, uh, 130-ish demons in the original. They added 20 more, uh, bringing up the total to about 150, which is pretty impressive. Um, they added difficulty settings and improved graphics. Um, you you mentioned that you didn't play the original, but you have noticed there were... Right. Yeah. They definitely... 
use both panels really well. In some situations, you know, you could be looking up at the sky and, you know, there's a, in a building that expands between both screens and there, you know, there's a hellish looking sky above you. So right. um, I would be interested to see more side-by-side comparisons on that. I, I know yeah. it ran really well on the 3DS, no issues, no, you know, I mean, yeah, I've been playing so many older games that sometimes, you know, load screens are a thing, not, yeah. not a thing on a 3DS game. Right. So. <laughs> uh, another thing that they added was the voice acting. So full voice acting. Apparently every piece of dialogue or most of it was voice acted, which is... Yeah, it's baffling. Yeah, it, it, really. It, it's really, really well done too. Uh, very, the English cast did a great job. And that's one thing I really respect about the... SMT and Persona games is that they're English voice actors. You know, you, you can catch a lot of them. If you're a Persona 4 fan, Chie is in Double Survivor. <laughs> I was like, hey, that's my waifu from Persona 4. What are you doing here? <laughs> there you go. Oh, see, you're pulling me back in. Stop it. Stop it, Atlas. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And uh, one interesting fact was that while recording the voices for this game, the devs were actually concerned that they wouldn't be able to fit it all on the 3DS Kirk. Which, I mean, it's a, it's astonishing that they were able to finish. Somebody on, sold their soul to the devil. I'm yeah, right. Positive. There's some, there's some sort of, I don't know, like, like a black hole in that cart, right? Holding all the information and streams it out, or so, I don't know. For sure. Uh, another feature was that they added an eighth day, which was kind of an epilogue, I'm guessing, to a few of the, um, the endings from the original game. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it kind of furthers yeah. the story. I got the Amane ending for anybody who may have played it and is listening. I don't believe that one dips into the eighth day. So I still need to go back. And the same with Devil Survivor 2. They add an entirely new story route in that. I still oh. need to go back and play. That's kind of like a what if scenario. So right. yeah, um, that's very cool, though. Yeah, I love I love when you see things like that, especially when it comes to ports that they didn't just bring it across. They added a few things to not only improve it, but to expand upon the story and stuff. Um, And then they added a demon compendium, which apparently allows players to recover lost demons. I can't imagine this game without the demon compendium. It's it's so useful. I if that wasn't in the original release, I God help you. (laughs) So what is exact? What exactly was it that the? I mean, obviously it recovers lost demons, but what does that mean? So pretty much as you play, the way you kind of gain forces and you increase your power level is you'll buy a demon off of the demon auction and they'll come with kind of a rudimentary like one or two abilities. And as you level them up and increase their power, you're able to fuse them off. And let's say you might end up with a Jack Frost that has access to buffs like um, just off of the top of my head, like Sukukaja or like a fog breath and that he wouldn't come with as a kind of fresh out of the demon auction house, but you've kind of created and fused him to combining different abilities. Well, right. with the demon compendium, I'm able to save that particular Jack Frost with those increased spells and those increased buffs and stuff to right. where if I'm wanting to fuse him and, but I've already fused him away, but I don't want to re-level or refuse a new Jack Frost. I can have registered him to the demon compendium and just for a monetary fee, I can bring that exact Jack Frost back at that power level. He was when I got rid of right. him. So 
Yeah, um, that's that's a that seems like it would be extremely useful. It saves an incredible amount of time. I so, imagine. You know, yeah. it, it reminds me of the Pokedex. Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> one thing I found out the hard way is the surefire way to trigger an SMT fan is to compare it to Pokemon. I was telling you about this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we all know SMT came before Pokemon. It did it first. I get it, you know, but obviously Pokemon is its own entity. It is. Right. A, a but you can't help draw own. some of those comparisons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the the Demon Compendium is essentially the Demidex. The, okay, the Demidex. Yeah. yeah, we'll go with that. We'll yeah. go with that, yeah. Uh, and the final feature that they added in the enhanced port, at least that I could find, was they an, an achievement system called Titles, where you gain points by completing various tasks, and then you can use those points to unlock bonus effects or features or yeah it's it's a really cool system um depending on who you save you'll get a title and such like that beating certain bosses and then with those points like let's say you want to retain your um your demon compendium heading into new game plus so or you want to save full like if you spend a lot of points you could essentially import to a new game with two of the demons you beat the game with. So you'd be going and fighting, you know, super intimidating level one boss with like a level 70 demon, you know, just <laughs> completely mow them down. But, you know, you have that option, which is really cool. You know, you can kind of go back and have some payback to some of those early game bosses that kicked your hind ends. So. Yeah, that's really cool. You can finally give Jack Frost the ride of his life <laughs> that's right <laughs> sick of your crap <laughs> right i'm keeping putting rocks in these snowballs <laughs> right exactly exactly well that was kind of like the history legacy of devil survivor like like we were mentioning a lot of interesting factoids on kind of how they wanted to develop this game and and what they ended up with it's it's always it's a fascinating, fascinating ride. Yeah, it's really fascinating. So from here, let's dive into what the game is about, like the plot. What's the story? Now, I could read my thing verbatim, <laughs> or if you would like, you could do kind of a synopsis. How would you like to approach it? Yeah, sure. Um, so essentially, Devil Survivor follows um, uh, the main character who just goes by Hero, or whatever you name him as, mm -hmm. and his friends Atsuro, Kihara, and Yuzu Tanikawa, and essentially they're uh, typical high school students, and Tokyo has a sudden lockdown from the military, and essentially you follow them as they're dealing with this demon invasion that's happening in Tokyo, and no one has answers, and it essentially follows the last week of the world as we know it. And if they aren't able to stop this demon invasion, then the, the demon, I'm sorry, the Japan ground self-defense force. <laughs> awesome name. Um, yeah. They're going to just level Tokyo. If, if okay. we don't, you know, take care of this as soon as possible. And, and right. you kind of grow to get to know these characters and you meet people and you're trying to find out answers and you just kind of see them as society crumbles around them. So it's, right. it's a really fascinating tale. It, it has some dark moments, but also has some levity in there too, to help right. break it up a little. 
Right, which again, the SMT games are good about, you know, they're good at yeah, doing that. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Absolutely. And I guess one of the key features then is that you, the main character, and your party members use a device called the comp to form contracts with these demons. And they yes. help you, I guess, in battle or otherwise. Yeah. And your ultimate goal is to kind of solve this mystery and prevent tragedy right yeah yeah they essentially are equipped with their demon summoning ds lights so <laughs> it, it's yeah, that, uh, that's always funny it's the they, latest model from nintendo so yeah yeah it's it's the key device to save the world in most <laughs> ds games <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah and essentially you can do a lot from that functionality in it um to where where you'll be navigating your uh, where you want to go and visit places. Um, mm -hmm. I, um, but not to get ahead of myself. There, no, that's so. okay. That's okay. We can yeah. jump right into it. So from there, I mean, it's still a game, right? So what right. is this game about? How do we play it? And the first thing you'll notice is that, well, I guess it's two, it's three things now after we've mm -hmm. spoke. Right. Um, it's part visual novel in its storytelling. It's part strategy game or tactics game in its combat, but also part turn-based RPG. Yeah. Yeah. When you really get into it. Yeah. It's it's an ultimate demon fusion of multiple genres. They're just exactly. yeah. throwing They're like, in the cauldron. What what do RPG fans like? Let's put it in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause I, again, it the visual novel genre is not one I was really open to, but again, between the the graphics and Yasuda's character designs, I think it does a great job uh, just from where you are exploring this lockdown Tokyo to mm -hmm. doing free battles and helping increasing your power or whatever it may be. Right. It, it flows together well. Right. Which is super interesting. And one thing that, uh, I thought was fascinating was kind of that a lot of what you do in the game outside of battle is happening through menus. It's yeah. not, it's not like uh, you're wandering around these towns, but it's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And we, it kind of touched on it a little earlier, but you know, there is kind of that uh, relationship building between characters. So essentially you'll have a, a menu of different locations throughout the lockdown Tokyo. And, you know, on, in one location, you might need to go uh, try to build your relationship with someone who, which might later enable you to talk them down from making a bad decision and getting themselves killed. Or mm -hmm. um, there's optional characters such as uh, that you can recruit and they can become a part of your party. But if you don't interact with them, then you'll miss out on that route. So, right. uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of diversity for multiple playthroughs here, but that menu based system, you know, some of the icons will have like little clocks on them and that'll let you know that that event will take up 30 minutes of the day. So right. you'll be able to visit multiple locations and chat with people. But if it has that icon doing that will advance the day 30 minutes so right. you are playing through the last week of civilization and of the world as we know it and you know the day will typically follow you know a typical 24-hour cycle and you know each 30 minutes a battle here will take 30 minutes chatting with this member and right. you just kind of work your way throughout the week so right and then the, do they actually give you 24 hours per day and it, whatever it's not you can always yet yeah. It'll usually be like maybe 17 hours or, okay. 
you know, and, you have to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And then there'll be a, a lot of times where you'll only have one or two options to advance time. And as you go to those different events, it'll progress and open up more. So you can eat through like five hours like that pretty quick. In right. The game, right. So. And that's the yeah. perpetual stress of playing a game that has a time limit. Right. And I'm always uh, reminded of things like Majora's Mask or Dead Rising. Oh, where, like, yeah. You're given three days. Yeah. And you got to get everything done in those three <laughs> <Right>. days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're going into this game blind, it can be pretty stress inducing. You know, yeah. I mean, there is a I highly recommend anyone first time you play it, you obviously go through it blind. But. Um, yeah, if you're wanting to save everybody or, um, well, actually in the first one, I believe it is impossible to save everybody. I'm sure someone will correct me on that, but, uh, <laughs> in the second one, you're able to work towards a, a, a true happy ending, but in the right. first one, it's pretty darn hard to save everybody. So, yeah. And that was one thing that uh, we didn't mention yet is that the main character can see, how much time each person oh. has left to live, right? Yes. Yeah. It's so pretty much he can see the death clock. So when you're talking to people, you know, you'll see a three above their head and that means they have three days till they die. Well, right. you and your party, you're never going to have a three above your head. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah. So pretty much you're working to try to break fate. Right. So um, like uh, you'll have like, usually like it'll tell you there's a one or a two above your head and you'll hear from demons like, Hey, we're trying to summon this big, bad demon and we're going to probably get, uh, get him summoned tonight. So throughout the day, you're trying to find out where, where's right. this ritual going to happen? because you know that at probably midnight tonight, you know, if you haven't changed fate, you're going to die. So right. you'll be able to know usually which, um, people you're talking to who you might want to prioritize a little more or right. less depending on how much time they have left depending on when you saw them last so right and and, and uh, the fact that they constantly say you have one day to live or something like that yeah um do they give you prompts as to what you need to do to pretty much your time? um there are rare occasions where you'll know what you need to do but um there's a lot of stress and tension between the characters. So there's some people who have like kind of real world emotions where they're in denial and these people don't, can't see this number. A, a lot of people can't see the number or they don't know what it means. So right. when you tell them, yeah, when that number hits zero, you're going to die. They're like, I don't believe it. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. no, this can't yeah. be happening. So you have to kind of like essentially hunt them down and find them and try to save them from themselves a lot of right. the time. So a little, little stressful. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a fascinating way. concept, though. Yeah. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. And um, so is a lot of this done through the comp? Is that how it works? Pretty much the number above their head will happen above their physical, like, character portrait. Yasuda's character design, you'll see a number up above their head. Okay. Um, and essentially, I don't, to my knowledge, I'm off the top of my head. I don't believe you can track it anywhere else. Like you have to kind of remember, like when you talk to them last, like did they have a one or two? And when you right. save them, their number will update because essentially something happens to where no one's number is above the seven days. So uh, something happens uh, to where, you know, like if they have like a, a five or a six above their head that right. like, oh, nobody's living past the end of the week. So, you know, right. that's always in your head. Like, yeah, I saved them to where their number went up to five, but you know, as you okay. kind of get towards the end of the week, you know, like, 
some crap's really about to go down. At yeah. The no matter what, everybody's going to die unless I do something. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you're essentially just clawing for an, another day, you know, right. like, and, and sometimes you have this big, huge battle and you're like, oh yes, we're going to have a five above our head finally. And it's like, it goes up to one. You're like, crap. <laughs> well, not, not too much rest for the. So, well, year. I guess I made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So you also mentioned that you could eventually recruit characters, uh, mm-hmm. and this is done through the comp. You can, well, that's not done through the comp, but once you have them, you can arrange right. them into teams. Yeah. And that team can bring uh, a set of demons with them. Yes. And we also mentioned earlier that you can fuse the demons together to make them mm-hmm. stronger, to inherit traits and so on, or you could buy them from the auction. And this is kind of like one of the core strategies yeah. of this game, right? Yeah, there's definitely that ebb and flow to your power progressions where, you know, um, one thing that differs heavily from this than like your other Pokemons and things like that is you don't want to get attached to any demon. Right. Uh, Eventually, you'll be getting to a point and, you know, you can kind of feel it like, oh, yeah, they got hit a little harder than I wish they had gotten hit, you know, and you can kind of know when it's about time to to clean the slate. But what's really nice is that, you know, since it is a strategy RPG and there is a gridded map to combat that each demon will have its own unique traits that you can kind of draw upon. Like one might be demon speed to where you can cross 10 grid and, uh, you know, 10 panels within the grid or another one might only be able to move six, but it can move different elevations. You know, it can fly. And so, you know, you kind of learn to build a kind of a diverse set of demons to keep kind of in kind of on the bench to where, you know, let's say you need to save these civilians, but you know, they're just far enough away to where you could really benefit from a faster demon or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I love seeing things like that, that they, even during combat, they give you abilities that can make it easier or, you know, just allow you to traverse the terrain differently yeah, so mm-hmm. i always enjoy that just like pokemon with fly and swing <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um and it's really cool because each map and encounter is different you know there might be a burning car in the middle of one map and you know you'll have to move your way around it or there could be a barricade of barbed wire you know you you have yeah. to either go way down and get in the entrance or fly over it you know it, it yeah. and you can always like de-summon uh, return a minion to your comp and then summon out a new one, you know, uh, you'll right. use up a turn for that, but you know, sometimes that's needed. So, right. Yeah. It's all about strategizing. Right. It's all about what's best in the end. Yeah. And, and speaking of that portion of the game, the actual battles, uh, as we mentioned the, well, there's kind of an initial phase mm-hmm. to the battle, right? Yeah. Yeah, there is kind of that pre-phase to combat to where you'll have within the comp, you'll be able to edit your team. So essentially you can you'll essentially have up to four active demon summoners that you can have on the battlefield. And each of those demon summoners can have up to two demons with them. So, you know, typically this is just for me, but as an example, I'll have the main character be this magic dealing powerhouse. Um, and then I'll have another character be kind of healing focused right. and their demons will be more mobile oriented or perhaps, you know, uh, how I have abilities that would help summon and, and resurrect fallen party members. And then I might have one character be a physical DPS monster to where they have pierce and multi-strike and 
such like that. And, and, you know, kind of build my team that way. But again, there is no wrong answer with how you want to build your squad of four. And within that pre-phase, you'll have the ability to, it's called skill cracking. So essentially I would assign one character to kill this demon on the battlefield to acquire resurrect. And I'll assign this character to kill this demon to get pierce, which is a passive buff or something like that. And as you kind of crack and, and acquire skills, that's what you can outfit and choose the different spells that your demon summoners have. Because, you know, they'll have demons that kind of complement their play style, but the way you outfit their play styles is by slowly acquiring new skills and abilities through the skill crack function, which is kind of that preface. And then from there, you can see the entire battlefield, at least at the start. You know, there will be some curveballs that will happen halfway yeah. through encounters, but... Yeah, and that's all in the preface. And then after that, you place your your party on the map, and then you start the battle, and then you go into your typical like fanning out across the map. So. Right. Yeah. And with the the grid based layout, you kind of move and position characters, and then they can finally encounter enemies as they get closer, yes. uh, or within range. And that shifts to a first person kind of turn based battle system right you know, like a la dragon quest or some yeah. of the original shin megami tensei games and yes so on. yeah and you'll be able to see the turn order on the screen but once you enter into that um the encounter once you've chosen to attack an enemy it'll come up with that kind of retro looking f- first person view yeah. of the demons and then from there the way you you will cue the abilities you want your demons to use and then it kind of gauges who attacks first from like um, your agility stat. So like right. if my demon has a higher agility than me, he'll attack first, which is something you kind of want to keep in mind. Like if you want to debuff, want this fast demon to debuff it, and then you can take advantage of that. But um, and then again, you know, you have that strategy R- RPG aspect to it, but the press turn battle system side of it would be, if I hit that demon's weakness, I have the chance of having an extra turn, which means I just get to act again with that. So the encounters themselves happen pretty quick. I mean, very quickly. You cue your abilities, they do it, and then it goes back to the battle map. But um, getting those extra turns is definitely the nuance to help kind of push you past the harder parts of the game. Yeah, which is something that you see in a lot of other Shin Megami Tensei games where exploiting the weaknesses of enemies is always to your benefit. (laughs) Definitely the name of the game. And if I can give any tips to anyone getting into either Devil Survivor or the mainline series is buffs and debuffs, you will live and die by them. So, yeah, the, the buffs in these games are specifically designed to where they are essential and mandatory in a lot of cases. And that's something I like to see because too often in RPGs, they'll give you buffs or debuffs that are yeah. near useless. Right. Like, why would I use it? Like, right. Why? But yeah. Yeah. But it's gl- I'm glad to hear that they actually make it so that they're useful during battles. Yeah. And a lot of cases, it'll be from those skills you've cracked. Like you'll have a, a passive auto buff that will proc at the beginning of it. And really, you definitely want to highly prioritize cracking passive skills in this game right. and, and making sure you look out for things that might make it to where your attacks ignore armor, which is immensely helpful for a physical right. damage build. So it may present itself in a different way in the Devil Survivor series, but again, it's they, they are incredibly useful. And for that final boss of Devil Survivor, 
mandatory essentially. So, yeah. Well, that's probably the key tip then for this game <laughs> is to pay attention to those buffs and debuffs <laughs> for sure. And I mean, the more we talk about it, the more I really want to try this game out. Um, I was hesitant due to the fact that it was a tactics game. Like I, I love tactics games, but they are kind of intense, right? Yeah. <laughs> and for me, I find myself a lot of ways and I, I fully acknowledge that it is a wonderful genre and the fans of it have every right to enjoy it. But I'm not somebody who typically seeks out strategy right. RPGs, but right. I will admit devil survivor kind of lured me in with the turn-based press turn battle system. Yeah. But, um, I found myself absolutely falling in love with the gridded strategy aspects of it. So, um, and it's nice because, you know, I, I'm kind of on my channel kind of going headfirst into nothing but SMT games and the devil survivors are so unique, but similar to the other games, um, that it's just been a wonderful experience. So that's, that's awesome to hear. And it's only, it's just too bad that the 3ds is so difficult to record. (laughs) Oh man, I had to prop, I physically prop a camera. I'm like, this is going to be the jankiest video ever, but I don't care. I love this yeah. game. I got to talk about just it. Just need to so. do it. You know, at some point, maybe we'll have the equipment, but right now doing what you can do with what you have is probably, <laughs> you know, it's, that's right. Yeah. It's, we got to MacGyver it. It's exactly. <laughs> and there's something to it. There's something charming about that, right. that I think, you know, uh, people will love. So. Uh, so that's that's Devil Survivor. That's kind of like our dump of information for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's Devil Survivor. Now go play it. <laughs> Good luck, kid. Right. Good luck. Good luck. So this is my favorite portion of this show, where I get to grill you with some interview style questions, kind of pick your brain, and right. see how how those synapses fire. Um, <laughs> Uh, in the SMT world. So let's start off with the first question. What is your personal history with Shimigami Tensei Devil Survivor Overclock? Now, I know we covered a lot of this. Right. But like. Yeah. yeah. Well, I started out. Um, my friend was telling me, hey, I hear the Shimigami Tensei games are amazing. And uh, you need to check them out. I'm like, really? Uh, which one's your favorite? He's like, well, I haven't played them, but you need to check them out. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right. So I went to the store and I picked up SMT4 Apocalypse, which is kind of an offshoot what if scenario. Mm-hmm. It follows one of the endings from the first game. I started playing it knowing nothing about it. It kicked my butt and I was like, okay, th- I can see why people probably like this, but not for me. So I went and eventually a couple years later, I played uh, Persona 5. And fell head over heels for it. And I kind of learned the press turn battle system, kind of the the ins and outs, if you will. And I worked my way from Persona 5, Persona 4, Persona 3. And I wanted more of the press turn battle system. So I eventually made my way back to the mainline SMT games. Right. And went into 4 for Apocalypse and fell head over heels in love with the dark themes, the... the, uh, in-depth gameplay, uh, Nocturne, Strange Journey. And I was like, I need more. I need more of this press turn <laughs> system. And then I, I I knew about Devil Survivor and Digital Devil Saga. And I jumped into Devil Survivor because um, 
I had a 3DS and I wanted, needed more of it in my life and kind of never looked back from there. I just, um, there's something about the press turn battle system that's almost in a way spoiled me on turn-based games. It's, it's made me a little bit of a snob, not really, but almost, you know, like I still love "Ah." my chrono triggers and final fantasies, but, but it doesn't have that press turn balances. It's just something about, it puts my brain to work. And and that might be part of the MMO old addiction kind of at work to where it kind of keeps your brain thinking about a puzzle all the time. So you're trying to constantly solve the battle instead of just mindlessly pressing buttons. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so what was your motivation in the end to pick this game to talk about tonight? Well, I, you know, SMT five is on the horizon and SMT has kind of, even though it was the kind of progenitor and would give us the press term battle system, you know, it's definitely been in the shadow of persona and I love this series. I'm very passionate about it. I think a lot of people would love these series if they if they knew more about it. And even though that, these offshoot games from the mainline SMT games, I think have gone under the radar even more so. Yeah. And Devil Survivor has such a level of quality and polish to it. It's almost baffling that more people don't know about this, even fans of the SRPG genre. And one thing you'll notice about any fan of SMT and especially the Devil Survivor games is, you know, they'll let you know they love it. I mean, they are ravenous and passionate about it and for good reason. And anything I can do to help kind of put this game on more people's radar, I'm I'm there. (laughs) No, I love it. I love seeing people stand up for games that they enjoy and to kind of, you know, Die on that, die on that yeah. hill saying, hey, you need to play this. If you like right. these types of games, this is one of the best ones out there. And, I like and that. you know, kind of like with Dark Souls, it's almost has this mythic, impossible level of difficulty to where people are like, I don't want to try that game. It's too difficult. Right. And I definitely bought into that, too. And the Internet has a very good ability of overinflating the difficulty. Look, if I can beat these games and play these games and enjoy them, I assure you anyone can. Yeah. And, you know, people may talk about like notoriously difficult bosses and stuff like that. Like they don't throw you right into that. You know, there no. is a honeymoon period where you're learning the, the <laughs> yeah. kind of ins and outs of the game. And I definitely strongly urge anyone to ignore kind of the elitism or anything you might have heard and just give these games a go if you're skittish about the series yeah and i mean um and this might just be me but i love the idea of hitting a challenge wall i mean like i need to puzzle this out i need to figure out what i need to do to beat this boss whether it's a strategy that i'm unaware of or just grinding out levels Right. For an hour or something like that. And there is a level of grinding that you can do in these games to kind of get over some hurdles. But what's nice is that if you are looking for kind of digging deeper into the toolkits the developers give you, you know, there was situations where I had never thought about stacking my character skills in such a way to where I would highly prioritize this. And, you know, there'll be some bosses who are uber weak to ice damage or bufu damage but they're yeah. completely immune or reflect physical damage so you got to rethink the way so you know there's nice puzzles they're not impossible to overcome you might not kill them or beat them on your first try but you know all the pieces are there you're never going to be 
you know, with the demon auction house and how everything works, you're never going to be locked off from, you know, oh, I shot myself in the foot and I saved over my previous save. I'm screwed now. <laughs> There's none of that in Devil Survivor. You can always pull yourself up out of any oopsie you might have made. So. Right. Which is the sign of a well-designed game. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you're never, uh, you can never dig yourself in a hole too deep. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Um, now, Devil Survivor featured an interesting mix of grid-based mechanics and traditional turn-based RPG elements in order to ease players into the idea of playing a strategy RPG. They kind of give you a bit of familiar with the foreign, as it were. Um, do you think this approach worked? Or do you think the developers should have focused on one or the other? This is a really good question. Um, I've mentioned, uh, I think before we started, um, that I am pretty much very entry level into the strategy RPG Mm -hmm. genre. I love Fire Emblem Three Houses and Awakening, but those are kind of renowned for being the easiest Fire Emblem games. So it's not a genre I would say I'm a mega fan of, but I definitely have enjoyed it. However, I was very concerned like, Ooh, well, SMT is renowned for difficulty. So these are probably going to be impossibly hard strategy games, but you know, going into it, they ease you into different encounters and such like that to where it was able to make me start to shift from just a turn-based SMT thinking gamer to thinking of it as a strategy game. And I think it definitely did it. I I think they took two genres. I wouldn't have thought necessarily would have meshed the press turn battle system, gameplay design with the grid like strategy game. And I think it knocked it out of the park. Like I said, if I think if I can get through it, I think it's a great starting point for anyone to the genre and SMT as a whole. Right. Yeah. I think that says a lot when uh, you say you were going into it a bit hesitant because you're not one to typically play SRPGs. Right. But the fact that once you got in there and you're like, oh, you know what? This really does work. Yeah. Um, and it adds an extra layer instead of kind of making it too, you know, convoluted. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, during its development, Atlas really wanted to shake it up and make Devil Survivors stand apart from other SMT games while still retaining that smt feel uh do you think they were successful and what you stood out most when compared to other smt games you've played yeah well right now i'm currently going through smt nocturne for the second time i I just beat it last year and i'm going through the remaster right now and that is definitely what i would call kind of the rosetta stone for the typical smt when you think of it yeah, it's very unforgiving. Mm-hmm. Characters are minimal, um, and it's a very dark, gritty tone. Right. And I was interested to see, because you have Yasudo, who has these very anime, very cool-looking characters. Um, they have a lot of personality to them. However, the tone of the story, this kind of like you're trapped, there's no way out, uh, everybody's going to die at the end of the week no matter what. Right. Over Overclock definitely has this ominous, oppressive feel that – as much as I love Devil Survivor 2, it definitely leans a little bit more into kind of like, hey, we can have a happy ending if we band together with our friendship. Whereas in Overclocked, you're seeing people on the street. There's a father trying to get out of the lockdown to get to his son. You know, I mean, there are some real 
emotion that happens in overclock. So I think it does a great job of retaining that kind of your heads in the guillotine and you're waiting for it to drop kind right. of feel to the game while simultaneously bridging people to care more about the character in front of you. Cause right. you know, when you play nocturne as cool as the Demi fiend is, you know, you don't know what his, what your motivations are. You know, people are, pretty ethereal and you, they're being influenced by gods and demons. Whereas in overclocked, you, you're on the street and people are right. dying in front of you. Right. People are starving. Kids are hungry. It's pretty, pretty personal at that level. Right. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, because typically I'm personally drawn to darker toned storylines and stuff mm-hmm. like something like uh, nocturne. Right. And then the idea of not necessarily lightening it, but humanizing it, as it were. That is a perfect explanation to why yeah. Devil Survivor does. Yes. Yeah. It kind yeah. of takes what SMT typically does and gives it personality. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because, you know, there will be those moments of levity, but at the end of the day, they're still sitting in a park and hiding from demons that are actively walking the streets. People are, they're hearing demons kill people, you know, Uh, people are begging you for food. People are tricking you to try to take from you what, what they want. You know, it's a little bit of walking dead meets nocturne in a way, not maybe not as gritty and gory, but like the tone of the story is definitely, definitely heart wrenching at times. It's uh, one thing you mentioning Walking Dead. I always remember the quote, and it was the author. I can't remember his name now, who who wrote Walking Dead. Um, but he said that um, it wasn't about the zombies. Yeah. It was about the feelings and the people. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> a lot of the times in Overclocked and even in The Walking Dead, the most dangerous thing at times can be other people losing it. You yes, know? yes. And and that's really something Overclock did because essentially, you know, we have this situation where there's good people. They have strong moral compasses at times that be, start to become warped. Right. You know, they may, they may see people robbing and killing people who had offered them food. Like, oh, you have food? Well, let's kill them and take all the food they have. Right. And then they see that and they become so enraged by this evil they're seeing. They start going out and slaughtering people. Like, how right. dare you stoop to such levels? So people are becoming tainted by these immortal beings and it's warping their sense of justice. And you're seeing good men do evil and evil men do good. And it's, yeah. you know, people yeah. are coming unglued as society unravels around them. And I think that's where nocturne, I mean, where overclocked really kind of says, Hey, we're a part of the SMT dark and grittier aspect, but we are more approachable because at the end you really care. Is Yuzu going to live through the end? Is Artsuro is the hero going to be tempted by the devil, you know? And and all these questions start going in your heads because you are invested in these people surviving, you know, and, and it really hits that moniker of devil survivor. You know, you're, you're wanting them to survive, but at what cost? So. Right. No, that's super fascinating. And every minute that we speak about this, the more I want to play it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the Shimigami Tensei games have been known for having amazing tra- soundtracks, as we said. And although some may say that Devil Survivor soundtrack 
was a bit of a departure. Like you were saying, it was it's more rocky. It's like, yeah. you know, grungy. Um, is it still? Uh, it is still celebrated. Uh, yes. And did you enjoy the music? And do you have a favorite track? Yeah, I do have a favorite track, and I meant to look it up. It is actually the intro. Um, like as you start the story, and you have this kind of ominous mix of. Uh, there's a slow rock anthem starting and you have this very ethereal like haunting tones happening it's the intro title track But also the battle theme, it's very like upbeat and hard rock so you know it definitely gets your adrenaline flowing but it is a uh, you know, you're going to be hearing it a lot throughout the game, and it never got old to me, so. But um, I definitely feel that Devil Survivor overclocked, especially because even Devil Survivor 2 doesn't have the same like hard rock anthem to it. Right. But Overclock definitely makes its own mark. I enjoy it. I wouldn't call it my favorite out of the entire series. I still would lean more towards the kind of postmodern um, ethereal tones of like SMT4. However, right. Overclocked is so distinct and unique that now when I hear it, I, I immediately know, oh, that has to be Overclocked because right. it makes its own own mark on the genre and series. I mean, that's great. I always love hearing that too. And I'm going to jump in and listen to that soundtrack too uh, <laughs> to hear the battle theme and the intro music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it definitely c- keeps that ominous feel. And, you know, kind of, I think that hard rock anthem to it kind of makes it almost like a, you're going up against this raw, powerful force that cares nothing about you. And right. I think that kind of hits that tonal feel of that hard rock, very powerful, uh, makes you feel small and it's going to overtake you if you're not careful. Right. So, no, that, that really does kind of draw an image for me yeah (laughs) all right uh although i haven't played the game myself i do know that rpgs lend themselves well to the ds and the 3ds due to their second screen did you feel that devil survivor utilized the hardware well you know other than using ds in (laughs) yes there's ds everywhere devil survivor your ds light but no um it's really nice because um, as badly as I want these games to be ported to modern consoles and switch so we can record them easier. Yeah. Having two screens is so nice. Being able to see my entire party, my skill layouts on the, uh, on one screen and being able to see the gridded map on the other screen when you're right. going and buying demons, you know, you can see the price of it and who you're bidding against on one screen and you can see the demon and everything else. When you're fusing, you can kind of see these really cool animations and stuff. And in some cases, you know, uh, they they don't happen as often as I would like them to, but you know, when you reach big story moments, you know, the sky may be turning to this fiery hellscape and you're seeing the base of a building in one panel, but you see the top of it in another and the swirling sky. So it's really epic. I think it definitely draws on the two. If I had any complaints is I would want more of those kind of panoramic shots between right. the two screens for the 
big moments, but that's just because I'm greedy. And I, <laughs> I thought it was so beautiful when it did happen. I'm like, can't this happen in every story segment? So, right. Come yeah. on, guys. You know, throw us a bone. Right. It's not like you're not doing enough, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good to hear, though. Um, did they do anything fancy or was it purely just having the two screens? Um, yeah, like in those moments with it, like they did kind of have like a pseudo, I, I don't want to say th- CG look, but mm. it definitely had almost a 3D look, even though it's on the 3DS. Um, yeah. I, it, it's not like you can do the slider or anything like that, but right. it definitely had kind of a, like a polygon shape to it. You know, it wasn't just sprite cutouts. So, and it definitely did some nice scaling in the distance between the two screens. So, um, but again, I I would say the biggest benefit of having it on the DS is being able to view my party in a very nice clean display and being able to see the, the battlefield on the top screen. So, um, yeah. Right. Which like you said, despite wanting it badly on a console that you could play on your TV and record, you yes. would probably miss that second screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they could work, rework it and just kind of do it. At least I hope they can. Because my big hope is that SMT5 hits it out of the park so hard, it can kind of re energize like the S- Devil Summoner and the Devil oh, yeah. Survivor sub series. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pull all those PS2 games in. Let's do oh, it. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Um, we know that Devil Survivor was followed up by a sequel, Devil Survivor 2. Uh, but do you suppose we'll ever see a third entry to this sub-series? Well, um, I was thinking about this, and I was like, I obviously, my gut is I really want Devil Survivor 3. And part of me, you know, I'm generally can be pessimistic at times. I'm like, man, I, I really hope this happens, but who knows? But, you know, with Nintendo's recent Direct, where they're bringing back, like, the... Um, uh, it's another uh, the Advanced War series. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I think the market is definitely still there, and I think with SMT five coming out, it appears I have no factual numbers to back it up. But with things selling out, with like the special edition of it and such, I think that there is a the the interest in the SMT series is at a fever pitch. Right, and I my hope is is that Atlas can capitalize on that. By either porting over Devil Survivor, the base ones, while they're also working on a third entry. But I think Devil Survivor 3 on Switch is not out of the realm of possibility. And I'm very hopeful that we can see that someday. But I really think it all depends on how SMT5 does. Yeah. You know, like if... If, if my hopes are correct and the interest is there, I'm seeing a lot of new fans to the series as myself that who came all the way from Persona 5. Right. There's definitely a market there for it. And I got all my fingers and toes crossed that yeah. we can see Devil Survivor 3 eventually. Well, you could see that uh, Persona 5 was such a heavy hitter that it really did bring a lot of new people to yeah. the well, at Persona at least, but, mm-hmm. you know, eventually smt and hopefully smt5 will continue that you know that trend yeah people are starting to gravitate toward these um, series of games and i think that we may not get a devil survivor 3 right away right we would more likely get the ports of one and two and if those do good maybe we'll see a three but 
That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Um, I think there's uh, there's more people out there than I realize who fell in love with the press turn battle system. And like me, when they got to Persona 3 and realized, well, Persona 2 is definitely, you know, it has a massive fan base. It does a lot of wild and wacky things, but the press turn battle systems there it isn't there who maybe like me went from persona three and hopped over into the SMT series to kind of keep pursuing that combat aspect of it. Um, I think there is a very much a groundswell. I'm hoping that they can capitalize on with SMT five and kind of keep it coming because I mean, SMT Nocturne, which is notoriously didn't sell well on the PS two. If it can get a remaster and a port to the switch, I'm kind of like, I guess anything can be on the table. Maybe we'll see a digital devil saga come over. Yeah, or, that's true. You know, I'm, yep. I'm yep. hopeful at least. So You almost wonder why they went with Nocturne, but I guess with five coming out, mm-hmm. like which SMT could we do? Right. And doing something like four, which was on the 3DS, would probably be a more difficult port at this time. Yes. Right? I, I think there's definitely that. And it appears that, and it could just be uh, I'm looking for answers where there aren't any, but it appears that maybe there are some themes and locations that are similar to Nocturne and five. Like they had a lot of inspiration from Nocturne, maybe okay. who okay. knows. Um, right. But again, they, I would think they would need more than just what I listed to justify the, the financial investment of porting it because the remaster wasn't just a copy and paste, even though there right. are some negatives to it, there are voice acted added to it. And, oh. you know, which is, that's, that's an investment right there to right. pay some voice actors to come in. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And if we were to ever get a devil survivor three, I'm like, what would you like to see in it that could have, could improve upon the series? Yeah. I think devil survivor two improved uh, well essentially it took everything that worked from the first devil survivor and added quality of life to it like in the first devil survivor i can only assign one character to crack one skill from an enemy however in devil survivor 2 if i build my relationship with them then either one of those characters can crack that skill which means it it, it, it stops me from having to back out and replay a fight because right. I'm OCD. And if I really <laughs> want that skill, I'm not losing it. Right. You know, so Devil Survivor 2 kind of laid that foundation. And Devil Survivor 2 kind of is a lighter tone. Right. It still has dark moments, but it is a it's not as oppressive as Overclocked. So I think in Devil Survivor 3, I would like there to be kind of a, a kind of a calling back to the tone of the first devil survivor to where maybe lean a little bit more into that oppressive we're on our own kind of that dead space feel of we're on this we're in this on our own and we just gotta you know band together because nobody's coming to save us that kind of feel from the first devil survivor while keeping the quality of life and maybe continue on that direction with it because the second devil survivor both games hold up extremely well even all these years later so i don't think there's a lot of quality of life they would need to do to be able to reach out to these newer fans of the genre so i i think though that maybe reckon back to the tone of the first one would be a solid step for the third entry okay okay so you kind of like a best of both worlds approach where 
Like yeah. I want the the tone of the first, the quality of life improvements in the second, yeah. and then the third would be a nice combination of the two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that approach too. I would love to see them continue down the darker path because that's right. what draws me to the SNT games in the first place, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm okay if they keep it with that visual novel novel aesthetic. I I, right. I wouldn't even necessarily want to mess with that. Obviously, I think you would have to bring Yasuda back. I love right. Doi, who is the current um, kind of art director of the SMT mainline entries. I think you need to bring Yasuda back to keep that same visual look. And he just brought such a unique, um, iconic looks to his character. Some of them are so over the top, especially <laughs> Devil Survivor 2, but I don't care. It, lean into it. I, yeah. I loved it. Yeah, that's what makes it fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, Devil Survivor is already filled with some fascinating demons and intriguing characters. If you could pick one dream cameo, demon or otherwise, from any other SMT game, who or what would you pick? Mara, hands down. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> don't, don't Google Mara at work, okay? Just, I knew it. <laughs> you'll thank me later. But um, So I was thinking about this. In the DLC for SMT4 Apocalypse, which is definitely a divisive entry in the mainline SMT series because it did kind of go more towards persona and themes and tone than previous entries. However, one thing the DLC did is it enabled you to encounter previous heroes from the SMT games, right. and you could actually form a party of SMT heroes. Like, uh -huh. you know, you have the Demi Fiend, you have uh, Flynn from SMT4, you have SMT1 and 2's hero there with you. It was really cool. I think one really nice thing with the third entry is you would have this backlog of heroes, and the games, while they are a part of subsequent entries take place in separate universes. Like right. there may be nods to SMT, I mean, Devil Survivor 1 and Devil Survivor 2, but they do not share a universe. Right. However, the SMT games are kind of renowned for like multiple universes connected through like a network, the Amala right. network. It would be cool if Devil Survivor 3 could enable a way to where you could have maybe a cameo from Devil Survivor 1 or 2. It'd be cool to maybe see Yuzu or um, maybe Daichi, whether you love him or hate him, from Devil Survivor <laughs> 2, maybe pop up in 3. So it would be kind of a cool nod. And, you know, the, the universes are all connected in kind of a thread-like manner between them. Right. So I think it, they could make it work, and I think that would be an excellent um, kind of thing to see. Right. Yeah, it's always fun to see whether or not they fit or not uh, characters from previous games. Um, for example... One thing that one game that I can think of was uh, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, where they brought in like the Final Fantasy 12 characters and stuff. I like haven't that. played it, but yeah, I remember. I remember <laughs> hearing about that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm new. I know that we're talking about Devil Survivor. I just recently played and beat the Zodiac Age. Oh, yeah. My God, I love that game. Oh, it's <laughs> oh so my good. God. It's, it's so, good. so good. It really is. It reminds me of a time when my wife and I were just boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. And see, I re have only recently played it, but it reminds me so much of like Final Fantasy 11 and that era of video games that mm -hmm. it kind of feels like I'm sitting down with an old friend, you know? Right. It's, oh, yeah. It's absolutely. so good. Absolutely. So many people disliked it for its kind of MMO style. 
of combat system, but right. Yeah. You're speaking my language. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. And I think we're on the final question. Um, so let's jump in. What was your favorite moment from Shin Megami Tensei devil survivor overclocked? I'm kind of caught between two. Okay. Um, so, um, this isn't, this is essentially the first mega boss of the game. Uh, his name's Belder mm. and, uh, B E L D R. I, I believe I'm saying that right. Mm. Pretty wild looking dude. Well, he's immortal and you have an encounter with him and it, it doesn't go well. So you, you finally find out the secret to him and it, there's kind of this ominous looming threat of him. Like you meet him, he absolutely wipes the floor with you. You can't even touch him. You have to, in fact, spoiler alert, you have to run from him. You can't, okay. you can't deal with him. And so, you know, your death clock's t- ticking down. You got less than 24 hours and you know, he's coming for you before, before the clock strikes 12 that night, he, you're going to have to deal with him. So when you finally encounter him, you have a plan of what to do. But when you come up against him, it is a difficult fight. But because he summons these minions that do some nasty status effects, but you can work around it. However, just the build up to that encounter, he almost felt like the final boss, you know, to where if anything, he's such a good threat that for like the, a little bit of the next day, you kind of are like, what, what can hurt me now? You know, <laughs> yeah. I've already fought Belder, you know, come at me, Belial, what are you going to do? Right. So I would say that, and there is an encounter in the game with Black Frost. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I won't shut up about Jack Frost or Black Frost. <laughs> I love every time they're in the game. They're always over the top, cheesy. I love them. Well, you have the opportunity to recruit black frost and and like you know um save him and that whole encounter where you're you're trying to get to him before everything can kill him because if he can die you can either choose to kill him or recruit him but that whole scene it's so over the top i love it it's it's the right amount of cheese his sprite looks (laughs) beautiful on the screen so i geeked out pretty hard during black frost so (laughs) But uh, not not too hard of an encounter, but um, like Belder, but it was still really cool. So I would say those two hold hold the uh, hold the gold spot for me. So. I love it. I love it. Well, that pretty much does it for our questions and for uh, this uh, episode. We did it. <laughs> we did it. We did it. We did it. We may have had to do it one and a half times. Hey. But that's okay. <laughs> I got to nerd out twice. That's there you all that go. Matters. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say that uh, Shimigami Tensei has been around for a long time. And I think that Devil Survivor Overclocked has proven that mixing up the formula can breathe new life into a series, even if on the surface it doesn't seem like it needs it. Besides, after taking a deep dive into this fascinating game and chatting about it, I'm more excited to give it to uh, give it a try for myself because that is an absolute truth. Oh, um, I'm I mean, so excited! You've you've sold me on this. Yay! I can't <laughs> wait to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> I'm excited to try it, and I just want to thank you so much for joining me this evening. It has been an absolute blast. It truly has. Oh gosh, um, I, I've been I was humbled when you asked me and I had an absolute blast tonight. I, I'm I'm so glad to hear that. I'm 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 glad you had a good time. I hope that uh you learned something 
Uh, I, and- I definitely did. And I'm the one who played the games. You know, I'm like, holy moly. Well, I'm loving you know, this. You know what? You filled in all the blanks and uh, you've convinced me that this is a must play. Uh, so where can the fine listeners find you and what can they look forward to from the honored Hallowed Be Thy Game? <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yeah, so you can find me on YouTube, Hallowed Be Thy Game. I cover action and turn-based RPGs. Uh, right now, we're uh, diving into Tales of Arise, but I'm still in that SMT mood as well. So uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the Nocturne remaster, Soul Hackers for the 3DS. Uh, obviously, SMT5 is that glorious game on the horizon for me. But uh, also um, on Twitter, you can find me at HBTG underscore official um, on Twitter. And again, I, you'll see me nerding out about Black Frost and Jack Frost on there. So <laughs> a few no immature jokes reason. along the way too. If, so. if there's no other reason to follow Mr. Hello Be Thy Game, it's for Black <laughs> Frost. Seriously. <laughs> the top of the food chain. Yep. Yep. What's the next thing people can expect to see from you? Well, um, Depending on when this goes live, I'll have the my thoughts on the Tales of Arise demo coming out. And then right after that, I'll be diving into the Nocturne remaster, okay. reviewing the remaster itself, but also the game. It's kind of my time to finally find and make time on the channel to gush about this kind of um, cornerstone of the SMT series. So. Right. Like you were saying, Rosetta Stone of SMT. It's Yeah. It's kind of like the quintessential what this is, right? Yeah, it's kind of ground zero for everything that would come from it. I owe it so much. Obviously, Persona 5 is arguably my favorite game of all time. It wouldn't be that way without the combat system that all started back in Nocturne. So it's kind of a return to the roots I didn't even know I had. (laughs) Well, that's exciting. And go, uh, go check out his channel, watch those videos, give him a subscribe, and of course, follow him on Twitter. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter as well at Backlog Patty. And if you're in the mood for a cacophony of backloggery, then go out and listen to Mike, Ryan, Serge, Jeremy, and myself each month on the Backlog Busters. Until next time, folks, have a good one. <laughs>